Ephesians is a fantastic book for marital advice. It gives us five rules every marriage should follow to ensure a long and happy union. In this edition of Differing Things, our host, Dr. Bill Petrie, will look at these five rules for marriage. Do not go to bed angry. How many times have you heard some version of this marital proverb? Many bright-eyed couples hear it in premarital counseling and happily nod along in agreement. Those who have been married for a while may chuckle at how naive the young couple is. The older couple mutters under their breath, we will see if they are still smiling and nodding in a few months. Once you are married, the counsel quickly becomes more complicated, uncomfortable, and costly. Sometimes dealing with anger before bedtime can feel like finishing the basement before bedtime. Many couples know firsthand having fought hard over years and years to subdue their anger before exhaustion subdues them. Achieving a cheap, superficial peace may be easy enough, but meaningful reconciliation typically takes meaningful time and energy and, yes, work. The counsel really is good counsel because it is God's counsel. Ephesians 4 verse 26 states, do not let the sun go down on your anger. The command covers all relationships, but marriage may be the hardest place to apply it. For many of us, marriage carries the most potential to make us most angry, or at least angry most often. This heightened tendency toward anger is not a defect in marriage. It is a consequence of what makes marriage beautiful. Marriage is a higher and more consistent capacity for anger because marriage is a higher and more consistent capacity for intimacy. Think of your relationship with your spouse. How many things have you told to your spouse over the length of your marriage that you have not communicated to anyone? What part of yourself has you, have you given to your 
spouse that you have never given to anyone, whether it's the revealing of your deepest, darkest fears or the excitement of what your greatest dreams are. Think of when you first start out together and the hard work to achieve something together, to be in sync, to stay in sync. This is real intimacy within a relationship. How often do you see married couples where they know each other so well that they can anticipate what the other person is going to say before it's even said? And yes, having that intimate knowledge of someone also gives you an intimate knowledge of that person's idiosyncrasies that can drive you absolutely crazy. The proximity and vulnerability that intimacy produces can make even small wrongs feel like acts of war. So how can couples fight to put their anger to bed? Well, many will correctly turn to Ephesians chapter 5 for a vision of what marriage is. The verses immediately before that chapter also hold valuable lessons and weapons in the fight to love each other well. I'm going to call these valuable lessons five lessons or five rules for marriage. The first rule is this. Anger is a good emotion that we often express sinfully. Let me repeat that. Anger is a good emotion that we often express sinfully. Ephesians 4.26 states, Be angry. You will not often hear those two words together in premarital counseling or any counseling for that matter. Before we try to put away our anger for the night, we need to remember that anger can be a healthy and godly response to wrong. Did not our Lord Jesus Christ become angry with the money changers in the temple? I want you to think about that account. Jesus was angry. He who knew no sin was angry. It was a righteous anger. It was a correct anger. It was the correct emotional response for what he saw and perceived going on in the temple with the money changers. They had indeed 
made his father's house a den of thieves. So anger was an appropriate emotion. Think back in the Old Testament. How many times did the prophet of God become angry at the nation of Israel? And why did they become angry at the nation of Israel? They became angry because the nation of Israel had rebelled and disobeyed what God had wanted them to do. Anger is an appropriate emotion. How many times in scripture do you read that God he has wrath, that he's wrathful, that he has fury, that he's furious, that he's angry. He's angry at the rebellion in the insubordination, in the stubbornness, in the refusal to listen to the things that he wants to share and to give to humanity. This is a good emotion. But the difference between God, the difference between Jesus Christ and, the, and humanity is that God does not express his emotion in a sinful way. While we, who are humans, do. Many marriages suffer because we assume that anger is always bad or that our anger is always justified. Many of us have developed a map of our emotional life in which anger is always out of bounds. We tend to assume that anger, especially any anger directed at us, is unwarranted and wrong. This is the overwhelming bent of most people coming into marriage. God's word to us, however, is not never be angry, but be angry and do not sin. Has your marriage made room for some righteous anger over an offense? Does either of you ever say, I was wrong, I sinned against you, and it is right for you to be angry about that? Many marriages suffer because we assume that anger is always bad or that our anger is always justified. Often, we assume the former when it comes to our spouse's anger and the latter when it comes to our own.
The rest of Ephesians chapter 4, however, puts checks on the anger that inevitably arises in marriage. Our second rule, strive to put away all anger. Let me repeat that. Strive to put away all anger. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 states, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Wait, is not this a blatant contradiction? Did not Paul just say, be angry and do not sin? There is a tension here, but not a contradiction. Much of maturity and wisdom in marriage and in the Christian life in general is found in the ability to know when to apply what appears to be seemingly opposite commands, when to correct offenses, and when to overlook them. An example of this is found in the book of Proverbs. When, when Solomon writes, answer not a fool according to his folly, and then later on states that we should answer a fool according to his folly. So the question becomes, when should we overlook something? When do we speak? When do we stay silent? When are we to be angry over sin? And when do we put away anger? Be angry over the sin in your marriage and do not go to bed angry. The message should be clear. Anger has a place in healthy hearts, but it is a limited and temporary place. It is right to feel angry over wickedness or evil, but only within a life that is actively, persistently laying anger aside. And not just most anger, but all anger. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Does not the Old Testament tell us that God cannot be angry for the eon? God's anger has an end. That's what he states. And he says it multiple times in the Old Testament. How often did he apply correction to the nation of Israel? And then, after that correction was done, after his anger was expressed by applying the appropriate correction that was needed, the anger was over. And God, again, became a teacher and an instructor and a guide to that nation. God gives even our righteous anger an expiration date. 
And that expiration date is today. Whatever anger you feel today, you need to let it go by the end of the evening before you go to bed. Each day will bring new trials and tribulations and points of conflict. And some may make you angry. But at the end of the day, that anger needs to be gone. And the relationship begin again anew with a new point of emphasis to correct whatever caused the anger to begin with. The third rule, the 24-hour day is a mercy for marriage. The 24-hour day is a mercy for marriage. Ephesians 4.26 states, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Have you ever wondered why God made each day 24 hours long? Surely there are hundreds of good reasons. But he himself tells us at least one of them here. Because it checks our anger and keeps it from breaking into a quiet wildfire. In this way, the 24-hour day is a great mercy for marriage. As the sun crosses the sky each day and begins to bury itself on the horizon, it steadily carries us toward reconciliation. It draws a line in the sand that forces us to choose between submitting to God and seeking reconciliation with our spouse or refusing his counsel and coddling our own hurt. Many marriages suffer because we let offenses harden into bitterness that slowly erodes trust and intimacy over days, weeks, months, and years. Trust is the currency of intimacy. Spouses can squander that trust in big, obvious ways that we could all name. Trust is also squandered in more subtle ways. Perhaps the most common way is by carrying the stoking offenses. The initial hurt or anger may have been completely warranted, but the warrant has long expired, and yet the bitterness quietly remains and wounds and separates, fragmenting the intimacy, shattering the relationship, and creating a great gulf between 
husband and wife. So God pushes the sun around the earth each day to give us a golden opportunity to put away all our anger. Let me add one important qualification here. Full reconciliation may be unrealistic some days. Releasing our anger does not mean that all is well in the relationship. This is why in our home, we must talk about pursuing meaningful reconciliation before we go to bed. A little bit of time and sleep can be a great ally in the process. It clears our thoughts, allows us to come back with a new focus, a new way of communicating with one another to correct the problem that created the anger. Insisting on full reconciliation in a short time often will just prolong the pain and discord. I've seen this firsthand when I have counseled many young couples and some older couples that are going through marital issues. That does not mean, however, that we should allow ourselves to harbor anger or settle for less than real forgiveness and reconciliation. It just means we will have to be patient at times for the warmth and harmony to fully return. The important lesson here is that both spouses resolve to regularly, even daily, put away all anger. Our fourth rule for marriage, unresolved conflict opens a door for our adversary, Satan. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 states, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil or to Diablos, to our adversary. Maybe we would be quicker to resolve conflict in our marriages if we could see what Satan can do with unresolved conflict. It is not simply that he can poke and stir unresolved conflict and make it worse over time. It is that unresolved conflict gives him access to every other area of our marriages. An open wound in one area eventually bleeds into every other area. 
Sleeping together gets harder. Praying together gets harder. Parenting together gets harder. Scheduling together gets harder. Serving together gets harder. Just existing to that together gets harder. Many marriages suffer because they ignore the spiritual war against marriage. Paul writes to us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, including the flesh and blood lying beside us in bed, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the celestial or heavenly places. It's Ephesians 6.12. Every marital battle is first and foremost a spiritual battle. And we will inevitably lose that battle if we think we are only fighting each other. Oh, our enemy would love nothing more than create a wedge between the human that you should be the most intimate with. Can you imagine how marital discord impacts your life in every phase of your life? When you go to work, you're thinking about the anger that you have towards your spouse. And you're thinking about things that took place years ago. This is not healthy. This only breeds resentment and bitterness, which creates more strife in the relationship. Indeed, unresolved conflict does open a door for Satan himself. And my fifth and last rule for marriage is treat your spouse's sin as Christ has treated yours. Ephesians 4.32 states, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How many marital crises and divorces might have been averted if these 15 words had really taken hold. Notice Paul does not merely say, be kind and forgive one another, but, and this is a big but, but forgive as God has forgiven you in Christ. God did not just overlook our sin and begrudgingly move on 
No. His son became our sacrifice. He experienced the grief that humanity can experience. He experienced sorrow. He received a crown of thorns. He was crushed for humanity's iniquities. He was wounded to heal our sin wounds. And all of this was done so that we would experience total, absolute forgiveness. This is a wonderful little verse that shows the difference between the grace of God and the law of God. The Apostle Paul, the grace apostle, states that we are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. We have the ability to forgive because I have experienced God's forgiveness up front. But under the law, this is not so. I want you to think back to Jesus's earthly life. When they asked him to teach them how to pray. And when they asked him to teach them how to pray, Jesus addressed the idea of forgiveness under the law. And what did the Mosaic law teach? What did Jesus living under that Mosaic law teach? Well, let's think of the Lord's Prayer for a second. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I want to stop there. One short verse further down in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 states, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Under the Mosaic law, a person's ability to forgive became the basis for God to forgive them. But under the grace of God in this present dispensation of the grace of God committed to the Apostle Paul, we read that we are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. We have experienced God's forgiveness up front. Because we have experienced God's forgiveness up front, we can look at it and say and know all the vile things that we have ever done to offend God. We know them. 
We performed those acts. We know every little lie we ever told. We know every little act of dishonesty we ever told. We know every little unethical thing we've ever done. We know when we have said things we shouldn't have said, when we watch things we shouldn't watch. He knows when we've done things illegally if we have done those things. He knows all of it. And yet, he forgave me up front. This is the way that we are to forgive one another and putting it into the marriage relationship, this is the way you are to forgive your spouse. You forgive them up front. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Nothing you or I suffer in marriage will ask or demand more of us than what Christ accomplished for our sake as the perfect sin sacrifice on that cross. We have a vivid image of how Christ forgave. I want you to picture in your mind the pounding of those spikes into the hands and into the feet the silence that fell over the planet in the sound of drip, drip, drip is the blood of the perfect sacrifice dripped down to the ground. Christ gave way more than we will ever give to forgive. And this is our grace apostles' command. We are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Many couples who have practiced this verse have made a startling discovery. Conflict is actually an unusual opportunity for great intimacy. Why? Because when we treat each other's sins as Christ has treated ours, we both get to see and experience more of him. For sure, we get to see and experience him on the days when we get along. But how much more present and real does he feel when we extend and receive meaningful forgiveness, when we receive harshness with kindness, when we stay and love, when we could reasonably leave? The moments in marriage that make us most angry can become the clearest pictures of Christ and a clear picture of our relationship with him. What else could make a husband so kind even now? What else would compel a wife to forgive him?
again. What would compel him to be willing to lay down his life for his wife? And why would she reverence him? Where else would a love so selfless, so patient, so resilient even come from? If not from our Savior. When we forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you, we literally are exhibiting him to our significant other. So husband and wife, be angry over the sin in your marriage and do not go to bed angry. Good day and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.